You can talk about things like AR and VR and all that kind of stuff. And right. I tend to shy away from that just because, yeah, it's cool and stuff like that. Uh, when you think about your average engineer, you know, what they're doing and average contractor, you know, is that, um, is that really top of mind? I mean. Do you hear it? The MEP trades are making their voices heard. It's time for them to help lead the way into the future. Welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast. I'm your host, Todd Wyant. This is the show where we empower you to transform industries by championing innovation. You're invited to join me on my mission to embrace and share the innovations transforming the AEC, MEP, and manufacturing industries. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our new website, bridgingthegappod.com. And please share with your friends and coworkers while leaving us a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We are filming from Las Vegas at Autodesk University. Today, I'm excited to welcome for the first time, Ian Malloy, Senior Product Line Manager, MEP at Autodesk. Welcome to the show, Ian. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for coming on. Uh, can you start by kind of giving us a, a brief background of you? Sure, yeah. So uh, my background actually is in uh, building science, mechanical engineering, okay. mathematics. Oh, well. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I have been basically developing tools for the building industry for pretty much my whole life. Um, and um, I've come more from the design side, okay. uh, design and analysis. Um, but yeah, in what I've done, I've sort of experienced this full gamut from design through build, even in, a lot in operate as well. Nice. Uh, around maintenance and things like that, yeah. So how did you get into the MEP side? Uh, well, again, like so, because uh, um, I'm from Ireland, I describe it as building science and mechanical engineering. It's the closest thing we have, but we call it building services. Steve Butler, okay. who you yeah. interviewed recently, he sure. knows what I mean. Okay. <laughs> so Everyone else out there Just different terminology. Yeah, yeah. just different okay. terminology. Uh, but yeah, it's mechanical systems gotcha. uh, uh, in a building. and. Um, yeah, so that's that's sort of uh, been a major area uh, that I focused on, and uh, I don't know what I just got into it. Um, I guess I guess kind of what got me into is like my dad was an electrical engineer. Okay, and I nice. said you know the usual business. thing like yeah, but I don't want to do electrical, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I went into mechanical, and, uh, and that's sort of that sort of things. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So, what kind of industry trends have you been noticing recently? Oh wow, um, you know it's. The, the easy answer to that is a lot of what like Andrew was talking about earlier on automation, uh, optimization. Sure. I think that those two words sum it up yeah. at a very highest level. Uh, uh, people are looking for uh, uh, efficiency in their workflow, uh, either you know automating an existing workflow or doing it you know improving the quality of that workflow, mm -hmm. um, uh, and then connecting other workflows to one another. Um, and then uh, the optimization side of things is just you know whether it's design or or make, uh -huh. as we call it, you know, people are looking for greater cost savings, um, both uh, first costs, uh, running costs, um, those kind of things. I mean, that's it. That, that's it. It's sort of like the business macro level that, that you know we're seeing. Cost is king. Yeah. Um, from a technology perspective, you know, wow, um, cloud. I guess that's I know it sounds like a bit of a cliche, but right. just in terms of you know the we've been talking about it for a long time, and I think everybody's I'll say experimented with it a bit. Not uh -huh. all I mean by that is that the stage that we're at with 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 that is that like with things like Forge, we're now talking about the cloud in a mature way. You know, mm -hmm. um, we've we've developed um, products and services in the cloud in the past, and they've worked. And um, but when you get into really building, you know, super reliable, super robust, super scalable. Uh, cloud infrastructure, the bar is completely different mm -hmm. uh, and build it and then maintain it. 
Um, and I think uh, Autodesk is you know, making that transition. There's a lot of uh, uh, things happening with Forge that we ourselves are using, especially for MEP fabrication. Um, and they just open up so many new things that yeah. um, it's, that itself is the trend, I think, is, is one way to look at it. Um, uh, you know, BIM. Do I need to say that? It's kind of obvious. <laughs> right? me. Yeah, but it, it all depends on yeah. where you're at and industry, your level of maturity mm -hmm. and things like that. You know what I mean? You can talk about things like AR and VR and all that kind of stuff. And right. I tend to shy away from that just because, yeah, it's cool and stuff like that. Uh, it's great. But, you know, I think when you think about your average engineer, you know, what they're doing and average contractor, you know, is that um, is that really top of mind? I mean, there's definitely some value in it and mm -hmm. don't dispute that. But I think people, um, there's still a lot of low-hanging fruit in just the basics, like producing drawings and producing models. Mm -hmm. you know, um, that we can do that a lot better. Um, yeah, gotcha. Uh, so, with so much going on in the industry right now, what kind of gets you excited about the MEP trades? So, uh, so yeah, I'll just sort of tell you. So, I'm actually fairly new to the trades. My experience to that actually is through Autodesk when, uh -huh. when I kind of inherited the overall uh, portfolio of, of MEP fabrication was included. So I said, right, I got to really learn about this. And like I said, I've worked with contractors loads. Sure. And uh, but um, I've learned a lot more about the the business of uh, of, of detailing fabrication. And the bit that honestly excites me the most mm -hmm. is the estimation piece because mm -hmm. you know cost, right? And when you talk about, again, you, this is what Andrew's talking about a bit more, better, less, and these things. You know, if you can quantify cost uh, and you can um, uh, uh, offer up alternative design solutions, you're really, you're really getting at the ultimate optimization there, right? I mean, how can you get better performance at less cost? Mm -hmm. You can't do that without knowing the cost. Right. And, you know, that's something that designers would love to get their hands on, understand that better, so we could really look at sort of whole system uh, design. So, so when I look at it, where I really like us to be as an industry in, in uh, I don't know, five, ten years, long, long time, because it takes time to change. Yeah. Uh, I think about how the kind of information that um, our fabrication customers have with cost mm -hmm. and the buildability aspects, and being able to connect that to uh, uh, design. And I don't necessarily mean in a, like a sort of linear way, mm -hmm. but um, of just you know you make the design model, you send it out to bid, and then you redo it all. Uh, I mean, really, in terms of short circuiting those that entire um, workflow and being able to design a building using fabrication yeah. uh, information, I think that's that's really interesting. Um, uh, that I think that will complete, in my opinion. And I know I'm probably biased, but I think more so than what I'll call architecture and structure, uh -huh. uh, MEP has enormous opportunities for uh, improved um, cost optimization and performance optimization. Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of over-design mm -hmm. happen happening. Sure. Uh, uh, you, know, you know, you might be um, optimizing the fabrication, but if that, if that system was the wrong system to begin with, you know, you're kind of you're right. swimming against the tide, right? Right. Sure. Um, so I think, I think that to me is really the, uh, uh, the key thing that I think could really change the uh, value the contribution that we make to the industry and to customers and you know winning projects mm. um, I think that's what's really interesting you know uh, better performance at lower cost if you can if you can do that right you're going to clean up right? yeah that's the golden ticket there. yeah right yeah, yeah. so what are the things that uh -huh. firms should kind of be thinking about over the next three to five years in order to, to get to that vision that you just cast out yeah um you know the thing i always grounded in is that you know what i mean walk before you run you mm -hmm. know i mean there's lots of new things there's always more technology out there right that you can 
take advantage of that's already there that you're not taking advantage of, you know, before you even look at any new threads, right? right? So I'd, like I'd always coming out. I always right? say, yeah, make sure you're, ma you're maximizing the investment that you've already made. Yeah, you know, I mean, this, uh, I'm sure the new things and the tools that you've got, mm -hmm. uh, you know. Um, but in terms of you know the the trend towards newer things, you know, uh, fabrication, you know, Revit 2018 and 19, which still fairly new mm -hmm. at most people at a, at a uh, project level, you know, because people are generally two, three years behind. Okay. We're just starting to see customers now starting to um, get on to 18 and 19, which was really our come out year for years for uh, the fabrication modeling um, uh, in Revit. Gotcha. Um, so if you haven't already checked that, I would say start looking at that. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd say the same actually to, to the designers out there as well uh, who watch because um, that's something that, again, we see it time and time again. Um, design models that, you know, particularly in particularly um, challenging areas, spatial areas like you know a riser or a plan room or something like that, and it's, uh -huh. it's not it's not designed with any notion of how it actually fit. Right, it can't fit six ducks in that time. Right. The reality is right. Come yeah. in. <laughs> and so and so there's there, there, there's uh, examples that it can be leveraged that way. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Evolve MEP, MEP construction software for Revit. Evolve's MEP software for Revit makes project collaboration fast, simple, and more productive, which in turn significantly reduces project risk and cost. Born from the reality of a lack of available skilled labor in the industry, Evolve MEP has transformed the MEP detailer workflow. It's time for MEP to harness the Revit platform to offer seamless collaboration like no other software before it. Visit EvolveMEP.com and let them know we sent you. Can you speak to what's the kind of the, the product roadmap that Autodesk has for MEP? Yeah, sure. So, uh, so, so, so broadly speaking, you know, we're we're kind of trying to do it all, but yet not, right? And what I mean yeah. by that is that we ha we actually have to cover everything from design analysis, coordination, documentation, and detailing, fabrication, which is a lot of ground, right? A lot of different sure. people, it's ambitious, a lot of different personas and, and and activities, a lot of data that that is represented in different ways, uh, and also fundamentally, you know, mechanical, electrical. That's ultimately, you know, we call it MEP, but really, that's the way it breaks down, um, and. Um, the uh, uh, we're pretty balanced across the you know the way we're investing, but the mm -hmm. the, the starting sort of last year uh, we we started making major reinvestment back in electrical because we had neglected that for a while, uh -huh. right? and uh, um, customers are pretty vocal about you know it should really do this. It's so stupid. It doesn't. Why can't you fix it? Yeah. And uh, so we started to address a lot of them. So if you see in Revit 2020, you see a lot of new improvements. So we're keeping that momentum up with that. Okay, great. You nice. know, you're going to see more soon around that. We're going to continue that. You know, electrical engineers are important. Yeah. <laughs> Just in case that's not already obvious. Maybe the, the squash middle in that acronym, but they're... Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and then... Um, on the other side, then uh, you know we've introduced some uh, uh, exciting new capabilities on the uh, design analysis side, which I think I'm going to be very interested to see how this could be connected to the fabrication side because uh, what we've what we've um, done is basically add the ability to do uh, more systems analysis mm -hmm. in Revit. So that's the piece where you know the engineer decides what what systems actually going in into the building. Is it the mm -hmm. or is it fan coil? Is it you know one chiller or two? And that overall strategy ultimately influences you know everything in between which is all the sheet metal and pipe work right sure. so those two those two pieces 
uh, both your two elements of cost and also the two pieces that need to be optimized, right, in terms of sizing and selection and then distribution. Um, and so that analysis piece now means that that no longer has to be done in a kind of a third-party tool. It can mm -hmm. be done in Revit, and that information can, can go in there. So that's because it's a brand new feature, uh, although we've been working on it a very long time and we've used some open source components uh, to do that, um, which have benefits in themselves. Um, uh, we'll continue to do that. Um, but the way we built that is also open to being, um, it's got APIs and things like that, so people can build on it. So we're interested to see how we can start to connect some of the fabrication data where appropriate. Uh -huh. um, you know, so for example, if you're dealing with a fan coil or an air handler, the existing normal Revit families are fine, but you're dealing with everything else in between. All the information on the ductwork insulation, for example, things like that all have a big impact on cost and performance, things like that, which are really interesting to take account of. Um, so again, we're going to continue to do more of that. And then, uh, you know, on the on the fabrication side, uh, I'm, I'm happy to say we're actually starting to build more momentum up with that again, right? Um, and so uh, we are, you know, starting with the kind of the most obvious things. You know, we're, we're building the future mm -hmm. and a lot of that relates to Forge. Um, but we're also trying to make sure that, you know, you can be successful with the existing tools that you have. You know, CAD, CAM and S aren't going anywhere. Um, and, uh, you know, we know they're critical to everybody's business. And so uh, we are looking to do more on maintaining um, uh, uh, investment in those. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're not going to be, and I think everybody knows this, right? We're not going to be adding any major new features there, right? Um, but we do want to make sure that they're stable and robust. And importantly to us as well, that they're, they're built better, that we don't have regression failures and things like that, which we slip in. Um, and then uh, the other areas then in terms of, um, we had a little bit of a hiatus with 2020 in terms of fabrication modeling. Um, uh, continued like 18 and 19, lots of new stuff, and then mm. there's nothing in 20. Uh, again, you're not going to see much immediately soon. Remember, I have to be very careful about dates. I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. <laughs> you can figure out what I'm saying. <laughs> but then we're getting back to that again now. So, you know, you're going to see a lot more uh, effort there, particularly again around the, you know, mostly where we know we can make the biggest impact quickly, which is yeah. the, uh, sheet metal and, and pipe work. Um, we've got a long list. Uh, um, of other things to do there. And we continue to listen to our customer council around that. You know, our customers are very passionate about these tools and tell us it's, it's a total group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it, I understand it's like, it's their business, right? Yeah. And so it's a mission critical thing. So we continue to prioritize from that. So that's that's good. And then, you know, the longer term sort of strategy that we we have that we've been working on for uh, a long time will continue to just because of the everything that's evolved and it is essentially moving all of the uh, business logic uh -huh. uh, of CAD, CAM, and EST uh, into the cloud on Forge, making Forge okay. services out of them. Very cool. Um, and uh, that, that one's often one of those things that people say, well, isn't that like Box just putting stuff in the cloud, like the data in the cloud? And it's yeah. like, well, no, 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 no. That's like, that's just if you put a file in the cloud. It's actually right. making the uh, actual um, intelligence of those objects available as a service, a microservice. Oh, wow. So what Great. that means is that, you know what I mean, you can build things on top of that. And uh -huh. You're not relying on that. So first and foremost, we're doing that so that, A, you can consume that content in Revit. But partners like yourselves can build on that as well and utilize that. You guys have been heavily involved in that. Uh, and then, and then, and I'm, if you notice, I'm going through this in kind of workflow order, right, from design through to yeah. through to, uh, to making the, the other uh, piece. Then as well, that uh, we'll continue to work on is um, that you guys have been involved with is um, the uh, uh, opening up of our post processor code, mm -hmm. uh, so that um, uh, you guys can serve as our customers who need, you know drivers for new machines and things like that, which are you know, yeah. continuing to, to do that. You know, back with the map days, we used to be able to respond to that pretty regular, but you know, we're not we're not tooled up to do that, yet we still know that customers must be able to do that. So we're really happy that you guys have been first to the uh, 
very soon as they evolve. Yeah, um, and uh, it's just great uh, to see uh, that happen. And like, overall, there's a lot of momentum building. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like I said, we sort of had a um, slow down in certain areas, but that's just the ebb and flow of large organization right. pivoting and moving it things. Around, and yeah, yeah. shifted around and stuff like that. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So it's good to see. Uh, uh, progress on all fronts and like always if anyone wants to know more there's the Revit Roadmap autodesk.com slash Revit Roadmap okay it's right there yeah nice <laughs> uh, you know we try to explain everything that's happening um, and then of course um, we got Idea Station uh, feel free to vent all your <laughs> anger there and also let us know what's working uh, but then also the beta form as well if you really want to get the inside track on what we're actually developing and you'd like to even provide some input on it get, yeah. get a part of the Revit preview Okay. Um, and you can even be part of the uh, our, our um, every two week um, sprint reviews where we're showing the increments that we make, getting yeah. the feedback, and we can adapt very quickly. It's a very successful way to develop. So yeah, so nice. that's a great being able to have that visibility into yeah, that for sure. Exactly. And you guys follow the same similar process, right? So yeah, right, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Revit twenty twenty point one just rolled out the the new kind of integrated analysis functionality. Right. Can you kind of unpack kind of the, the need for that and the the usefulness of what all that yeah sure yes yeah. so there's different ways so yeah so i mean um uh, uh that really is kind of like the where it all starts right i mean you know if you think about it even before the architect starts to figure out i want a curvy swoopy building or whatever i'm not an architect so it's either a box or something i don't <laughs> there you go right <laughs> the curvy swoopy i think is the uh very uh, <laughs> scientific term but the point is like you know a mechanical system when you think about the chicken and egg analogy yeah. right you know uh mechanical system is the chicken right the egg come, you go you can't figure out a system until you know what building it's got to serve sure and so systems analysis is about that very first piece but here's a piece of architecture what's it going to take to service it what are the loads how much equipment do i need uh-huh. you know and uh, depending on your um your knowledge i mean that can sound like a really simple question but it's not because you know and this is the thing like in in and i'm going to generalize here but like in other areas like construction is like you know steel or timber or concrete and yeah there's different strategies for making things stand up but there's really no incentive to add any more steel into a building than that you need right but right. concrete it actually works against you sure. in seismic situations right but in mechanical systems there's a huge incentive to uh, um, increase the performance of, of mechanical systems mm-hmm. You can go from code to super high performance near to net zero, a passive house, right? For example, like you know what I mean? It's yeah. still a, you know, it doesn't need any heating code, but it has a mechanical system in it because it's you know heat recovering and things uh-huh. like that. Um, and so that systems analysis is really all about those upfront early decisions, which you know uh, greatly impact the overall um, uh, uh, value to the owner and the performance of the building, mm-hmm. you know, its environmental footprint in terms of energy quality of comfort and things like that. Um, but then critically, it provides the information that ultimately is what's fed downstream in terms of what gets modeled, what goes out to bid, uh, what gets value engineered, um, and then ultimately what gets uh, what gets fabricated, mm-hmm. right? Um, so our reason, our reason for doing this is not only to serve the ability for people to do that analysis using uh, 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 the Revit data model, um, but also to be able to provide the downstream information um, to, to coordination modeling documentation in your standard kind of like um, um, design bid situation through to more the things I'm more interested in is is around when you start looking at more integrated design design build where you're not necessarily you don't care about a pretty sheet right mm-hmm. what you care about is 
the underlying kind of logic and the, the um, uh, quality of the design, right? Um, and so, so that's really what we're kind of interested to do is what's the minimum we could do. It sounds counterintuitive, right? Because Revit is all about detail, particularly with fabrication, you're going into more detail. Right. That's the sort of classic innovator's dilemma, if you think about that. From No matter what model you start, people are going to push you into a mm -hmm. higher level of detail, yeah. which is valid. Um, but when we talk about actually, um, anyone again will know this, but organizing the Revit data model, I mean, Revit actually doesn't know what a system is, right? It's like, unless you tell it, right. unless you say, connect all these things and put all these parameters, and now it will behave the way I want it to. But, you know, fan coil system or VAV system or chill beams or something like that. There's there's parts to that that with logic that exist and should be should yeah. be captured. And so that's what we've added. Okay. It's basically nice. the ability to to do that. Um, and so uh, uh, and yeah there's there's a number of drivers. It's it's currently, you know, it's called the Wild West, but I mean there's anything from hand calcs to spreadsheets to third party tools. Mm -hmm. They're really not leveraging the building information model. They might be taking some geometry out of it, but they'll do it once and they'll do it at a late stage, mm -hmm. right? Uh, we're trying to allow them to do that at a much earlier stage. Gotcha. And, and actually the thing that I think, and I, I gave a class on it this morning, so part of my, one of my challenges was the contractors say, hey, yeah. check this out and use it to challenge your engineers. They need to sort of like, you know, to, you know, you're gonna do a little bit of redesign anyway. Right. But um, uh, it's not that heavy lifting. And um, there's a lot of kind of, um, um, depending, uh, like I said, the, some engineers will absolutely oversize systems. I mean, when you're talking about value engineering, there's huge opportunities for you know downsizing the primary equipment, actually upsizing the distribution. Right? Even though that's completely counterintuitive to the economics mm -hmm. from a yeah. performance perspective, that it makes a lot more sense. Interesting. So yeah, so that's that's why we're trying to it's like you know there's analysis needs there that need to be met, but it's also we don't just want to create a faster horse. We want to mm -hmm. provide something that actually gets you to a much better design. That's why we that's why we do that. Very cool. Uh, so, kind of give me your take on prefabrication, and then how do firms know how aggressive to really push the gas down on prefab? Uh, I, I, you know what? I gotta, I gotta say, I don't think I know enough to say that because that's such a huge question, yeah. right? And um, I think, I think that's something that it, it, it's a trend that people are sort of obviously very interested in paying to, but it's not like sort of you can just go out and do it all tomorrow. You right. I mean, I think it's something that naturally evolves. Uh, and I think the, but the, the only way it's going to happen is your business needs to take those risks and leaps to try new things. Uh -huh. um, and uh, I think um, certain markets might lend themselves to it more than others. Mm -hmm. uh, certain pieces of, of, of the system, uh, like, um, I don't know, domestic hot water, for example, might lend itself better than, mm -hmm. than let's say, uh, cooling, right? Mm -hmm. Ventilation, something like that. I don't know. I'm just saying there's pieces of it. And I think the learnings from that can then start to be moved forward. Yeah. Um, do you know what I mean? I'm just sort of saying that. It's yeah, not so maybe it's like pick like, a part of the project. Right. Get good at that. Exactly. And then move on. Yeah. Else. Yeah. yeah. And, and, eat the whole horse. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's, thank you. That's sort of my, uh, what I'm sort of getting. I think people are thinking, I have to eat a whole horse or, I'm, or right. if I'm not, I'm, I'm losing out. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and again, it just depends. We're seeing different um, degrees of sophistication. Uh, of things that people are doing, um, but it's happening just regardless, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's, um, it's, it's the natural place. When I talked earlier on about finding efficiencies, uh, both in workflow automation and optimization, mm -hmm. well, it all leads there. Right, right? sure. Um, how long that's gonna take for everybody <laughs> in all right. the different It's a great unknown question. <laughs> it's, just, it's just impossible to, to really say, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, uh, and, I, and I've been involved in the construction industry too long to sort of 
say things like, oh, that we can do that in five years. From a technology perspective, mm. do it in five years, but how long will it take the industry to change is another thing. Mm. Uh, it's a whole mental shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a super loaded question. It's really hard to, hard to say. And, and what I, what I, again, a lot of people come to us and sort of say, well, they sort of expect, and we can provide a certain amount of guidance on, you can try these things and stuff like that. But yeah. like, I mean, a big part of it is that, I mean, we see this all the time. I mean, um, if we were to tell everybody how to do things, everyone would only do it one way. Sure. <laughs> and it probably not, wouldn't be a good way, right? Because it's we're not the experts in these areas. And we're always amazed at the things that people do with our tools. We never thought of that. Or right. you did that. Yeah. And wow, if you only did this, it would open up these doors. And so I'm very interested to see, you know, we learn from the leaders in the industry that are doing things and um, uh, interested to see what areas might uh, lend themselves to uh, acceleration of that more than others. But uh, to me, I don't know, there isn't anything that's um, vastly ahead or anyone that's vastly ahead of anyone else that is the magic key. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Sure. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. Uh, so back at Applied Software's MEP Force event in August, one of the themes that kept coming up was how it's time for the MEP trades to have a bigger voice earlier in the BIM right. process. Uh, what are your thoughts on how to accomplish this? Yeah, I mean, uh, so again, I'll, I'll, I'll lean a little bit more on where my experience comes in, and, mm -hmm. and I don't know. Um, uh, but um, for example, like uh, in my past, I've done a lot of lead projects. Mm -hmm. One of the things it calls for is uh, enhanced commissioning. Um, and uh, in other words, get somebody who knows yeah. <laughs> what it takes to actually build a system and maintain a system right. involved early on in the process. And that's, and that's I'd say that's even before the BIM process, right? Interesting. So, so, okay. uh, and the, the challenge with that has always been is that's there's always a, uh, what they call it, like an optional credit. It's not a, it's not a prerequisite, right? So there's basic commissioning uh -huh. that doesn't really call for for this. The, the, um, um, uh, the two of them together though, however, broadly that thing is really about saying, hey, you know, if, it's, you could have the highest performing design in the world, but you can very easily build it really badly. You can operate it really badly. So have, getting somebody who understands the reality systems, who can advise on, again, value. You know, I understand the cost of these things. Mm. You know what I mean? There's often, uh, often with pushing the envelope for uh, high performance from an energy and comfort perspective, mm. you end up with a lot of complexity. Um, and could end up being completely either unbuildable or very expensive to build and things like that. So, that, so to me, yeah, having somebody in the room who, who knows the reality of, of, uh, of how things are built, how they really work. Yeah. Uh, and that's not to say engineers don't, but they understand it at a sort of theory level, right? Sure. <laughs> um, uh, uh, that's uh, maybe being unfair to engineers, but you know what I mean? There's two very different, two very different levels of detail. That, yeah, well, they're looking know. at very different things. Right, exactly. Um, so yeah, so I think I think that to me is like a kind of a the industry already recognized that years ago. I mean that lead at the end of the day is trying to move the industry forward. That's its mm. goal, right? And uh, they they recognized that uh, that's a critical ingredient of that. And I'd say that's even pre bin right? And mm -hmm. um, I really wanted to do that from from day one. Um, and then and then you know once you get into things from there, uh, yeah, I think uh, the ability for um, 
our fabrication customers to be able to advise designers on the availability of things. And this is partially why what we're doing with the fabrication data manager, for example. So you have this great, rich data set of your, your content and um, the dimensions of things. It also includes your cost information. You don't necessarily want to share that. Yeah. Um, and so what, this is part of what we're trying to do is allow to share the geometry, but not the cost information. And that will allow a designer then to, to work uh, with some real, real parts rather than um, uh, just the sort of generic design stuff. Um, so yeah, it's, again, I think that's, uh, uh, you're gonna see more of that. Uh, and I think the more, um, if we can get more case studies around the benefits of it, which can be quantified, um, uh, it would help help drive that forward. Yeah, so kind of similar. How do you encourage the the owners to, to really reach out to the trades to get their input earlier? What are the benefits to the owner? Yeah, I mean, um, it's funny because, you know, coming from the design side, you could almost argue the same thing. Well, what does it take an owner to reach out to the, to the design side? I mean, yeah. as always, you know what I mean? The owner is the one that, that, that that's why we all exist. That's, you know, the ultimate value lies there. Um, I think, you know, on the, again, it goes back, it goes back to cost. You uh-huh. know, it's like, you know, even, even the best customers in the world who want the highest performance, greenest buildings, things like that, they still care about what it right. costs, right? right. And, Everybody and, has and, to care about the bottom line. Yeah, and, and, you know, I mean, yeah. And like there are, you'll see the odd green sort of albatross building that's like, but super expensive. It's just not practical or scalable. What's that right. really solving? You know what I mean? It's, it's not doing anything. Um, but I think, I think uh, the fact that you understand, um, uh, the buildability and the reality cost of things infinitely more than the designers do, uh-huh. I think is is the main yeah. the main draw, right? Sure. I think also as well that, you know, I mean, a lot of our customers obviously have operations side of mm-hmm. the business as well. Um, and, you know, uh, the idea of digital twin, I should have mentioned that one in the trends. You know, there's just too many to mention. Right. But that one is just, I mean, we've been hearing about that for years, but the volume of that is is going up. Hmm. Uh, and I think that, um, um, again, there's different ways you can interpret that of what that can be. But I think the that's where the contractors in particular can um, uh, have a big role because all that information that happens and gathered during commissioning um, uh, uh, and having a way to, um, you know, gather it, store it, Mm-hmm. You know, hand it over. I think is is really important, and I think they're seeing more and more value in the model as an asset, as opposed to just a means to an end for a design. Mm-hmm. And so, whoever can provide the most valuable uh, data, so yeah. to speak, you know what I mean, the most valuable model, the most well organized model, uh, one that doesn't just sit on a shelf type thing, mm-hmm. gather dust. I think that's kind of a key differentiator for people. Gotcha. Um, uh, yeah, and, and then using it in terms of operations and things like measurement and verification and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Uh, so with so many new technologies coming online and, and different workflows coming up all the time, how do you stay up on you know, what to use, what workflows, and all the, the trends? Oh, yeah, I think the keyword is try to stay up. <laughs> like, you know, well, the main thing is, like, I mean, I don't know, I'd say, I've never really calculated this, but at least 50% of my time, uh, Martin Schmidt's time, right, you know, with, with 2 p.m. for... Uh, MEP uh, is talking to customers yeah. on you know what's working, what's not working, you know uh, both on your day to day bread and butter stuff, along with your kind of like your uh, skunk works uh, special thing that you've done with Dynamo that's solving this one problem. You try to learn all these things through to uh, uh, bigger things. Um, 
And so, yeah, so, so customer contact is the main thing. Obviously, we can only talk to so many people. So then, you know, um, everything we try to do through things like Idea Station and we have like the, our different customer council meetings and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, that. That's enough just to try to keep up with, if you know what I mean, never, tr never mind trying to do anything sort of proactive. But then beyond that, um, yeah, you know, just like everybody else, just, you know, read the news and, yeah. you know, <laughs> all the journals and things like that. And so, um, uh it's also interesting, I think, that, you know, I think it's where one of the really nice things about Autodesk is that you do get exposed to people and companies and things that are not necessarily directly related, uh -huh. but then still can have a lot of, lot of, lot of value, uh, you know, in terms of broader. That's a similar problem. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, I'm just, I'm, as I say that, I'm actually drawing a blank right now, but there's been several recently that you said, well, that's, that industry has the exact same problem. It just in the, it just looks different, right. and and sure. so so you can sort of learn about that. And you see what they're doing to solve those things. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean it's but it's a challenge as always, and I don't ever pretend to you know yeah we, like we'll say our job is be responsible for the strategy and things like mm -hmm. that, but we we don't pretend to know it all. But this is the plan, and the plan is the plan until the plan changes, and that sure. should change <laughs> based on somebody saying that's wrong. Have you thought about this yeah. or whatever? So. Uh, yeah, it's, but it's uh, uh, it's it's an ongoing challenge to do that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, um, we got teams, but yeah, customers. Honestly, you know, if we didn't talk to customers, we would be completely in the dark. Yeah, which would not be good. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Feedback is important for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Ian, uh, on uh, sustainability, how how do the MEP trades really help in the? sustainability effort right yeah well i mean i just touched on it a minute ago about you know uh, lead and, and uh, uh the role in that of uh um, continuous commissioning now when i say lead i'll be again my experience that's a double-edged sword with some people right in terms of some people love it some people are not so sure about it and you know there's like lead like sort of things and stuff like that but um, from my personal experience i think the main thing about it is it's a good model of um overall sustainability yeah and if you look at it there's a ton of credits in it that are related to uh, whether you're following lead or not it definitely recognizes the role of uh the mechanical electrical systems in the building mm. in terms of energy use and provision of comfort i mean i think at, at a guess like two-thirds of credits relate to something that the mechanical systems provide. If you think about it, without mechanical systems, it's just a cave, yeah. right? Not a very nice place to occupy. Uh, you know, cave doesn't use any energy, but doesn't fulfill any function. Sure. So yeah, so 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 um, mechanical systems, electrical systems, are what makes a building work. Uh, and you can either do that in a way that um, is you know business as usual and is expensive to run and not very comfortable, mm -hmm. or you can do it with you know um, uh, uh, a big difference. And I think that the like I said earlier, like. You know, to, to draw the analogy, there's no benefit in adding any more steel or concrete to a building, certain ways to optimize it. But, you know, if you, if you think like current standard practices, just build the code. Mm -hmm. Okay, you can do that. Uh, but you can achieve levels of saving in energy and uh, uh, like way above code. And the benefit of that as well is that, it, which is much more tangible mm -hmm. for the owner than the, even just the energy savings, which is comfort. You know, the two things are closely, the more energy efficient a building is, mm -hmm. invariably the more comfortable it will be. And what I mean by comfort is not just temperature, but I mean quality, air quality and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that touches on many, many things. Again, you know, I'm just using drawn on lead here as little points mm -hmm. when, around things like uh, indoor air quality. Um, and um, uh, uh, even when, when um, the building's being built, the system's being installed to make sure it does get, doesn't get into things and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I honestly feel that, you know what I mean, there's, there's uh, when I said that earlier on about there's so much opportunity for optimization in mm -hmm. mechanical systems because of 
uh, the, the, the sort of over, the simultaneous over and undersizing that happens on both sides of the central plant and distribution system mm-hmm. equation, yeah. there's huge opportunity for, for, for savings. And I think that, you know, we started to see um, some, some customers who really push the envelope on integrated design do that, mm-hmm. where they're, uh, you know, greatly improving the building's overall envelope performance, which is reducing the plant requirements. So central plant gets smaller. Now all of a sudden you've got a lot easier system to fit in the building. Yeah, uh, runs more efficiently. So many benefits. Interesting uh, downstream of it. You know what I mean. And so that's that's kind of a key thing that I think that um, uh, uh, MEP plays a huge role in. Yeah, very cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, to no problem. Join yeah, us on the podcast. Yeah. yeah, anytime. Absolutely. And thank you to all those tuning in to the podcast. If you would like to know any more about the MEP workflows, reach out to our sponsors, Applied Software at asti.com or EvolveMEP at evolvemep.com. You can listen anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Thanks for listening to the Bridging the Gap podcast. Please spread the word by giving us a five-star review and share with your friends and coworkers. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our other applied software podcast, the AEC Disruptors. Thanks for listening. Bridging the Gap is produced and directed by Alyssa Chartier, edited by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production, copyright Applied Software 2019.